spiritual gifts. And just before we do that, I'd like to pray and commit our time to the Lord together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are together. We thank you that we are around your word. We, oh Lord God, want to hear you speak to us from your word. And we want to know what you have to say to us this morning. And so we plead with you that you, almighty God, would again answer and again be faithful to your promise that where two or more are gathered together, there you will be also. May we know your presence, sense your presence, feel your presence. May the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, meeting us at our point of need. And as we look into this passage, as we see your word, may your Holy Spirit make it come alive and fresh to us. And Heavenly Father, as I have this task of proclaiming your truth from your word this morning to preach, I ask that you would help me to do that, that you would pour out your spirit upon me and enable me to communicate the truths that you would have us to hear in a way that connects, in a way that is straightforward, in a way that honors and glorifies your great and holy name. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit and enable me to do what no man can do. And may I proclaim your word faithfully this morning from your word. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen. For those of you that haven't been with us for a while or this is your first time, we as a church have a, a, a habit, a practice of going through uh, a book of the Bible at the time. We call it systematic uh, preaching, systematic expository preaching. We want to open up what God's Word is saying and we go through it in that way. And so we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians and we were taking probably about a, a paragraph at a time, not a full chapter, but a, a good section at a time, and going through it uh, quite quickly until we got to chapter 12. And we've realized that chapter 12, 13, and 14 uh, are a book within the book, as it were. That there's a theme of, of spiritual gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14 that really need our attention. Paul starts chapter 12 with concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or if you are reading the, another version of the Bible, it will say, now concerning the spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so there's, there's some real importance here for us. And we've been looking through this passage, these passages, and we're in chapter 14 now. Chapter 12 outlines the... Uh, the gifts themselves, and gives some sort of basic teaching on the gifts. And then chapter 13 is the essential of the gifts, and that is love. Uh, and, the, and the gifts are pointless and hopeless if we do not have this love. And then chapter 14 teaches us how practically the spiritual gifts should be used within the church life and the church family. And so as we moved into chapter 14, we've been looking at the practical application of the, the, the spiritual gift within church life. And we had this main principle that we brought out. And, and the main principle starts in two sections. It's one is to pursue love. Pursue love. And that comes as the passage builds up. Chapter 14 starts with pursue love. And the previous chapter 13 is all about love. And, and God's love is the foundation of the church. It's only because of God's love there is a church. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into this world so that we should not perish but have eternal life. All of us as we come into this world, we are born into this world and we're born as sinners and we're born in rebellion with God. 
And we all deserve an eternity of God's wrath and judgment upon us because He is perfect and even one sin makes us imperfect. And yet, God demonstrates His love to us that while we were yet His enemies, even before we were born, Christ died and came to this world and died for the ungodly. Christ on the cross took the punishment of God. In some ways, that the cross is a picture of what was going on. Of course, the cross was painful. Of course, the cross was great suffering to Christ. Of course, there was shame involved in it, but the, the physical pain and the suffering that the cross meted out to Christ was nothing in comparison to the fact that God's wrath was being poured out upon Jesus himself. And Jesus was taking an eternity's worth of wrath for the sins of his people in that moment. He bore the punishment. And Christ, on the cross, cried out with that, 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 that loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We deserve an eternity of the absence of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. We deserve an eternity knowing God's anger and wrath. And on the cross, when Christ was feeling forsaken, he was taking up that eternity's worth of anger and wrath upon himself. The pain, the suffering, the rejection was all taken for his people. The just, the righteous, the sinless Christ died and suffered for the unjust. And each and every one of us here who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know Him and we are part of Him and we are part of His family. And Paul was speaking to the Corinthians who knew and loved Christ and said, pursue love. But before we go on, I, I want to just challenge you all here this morning. Do you know Christ's love in that way? Has Christ died for your sins? Is that what you are trusting in? As you come here to worship here this morning, why have you come? Have you come to worship a Savior or have you come to save yourself? There's a huge distinction. There's a huge distinction of coming here to worship the Christ who died for the sins, your sins. Or coming here trying to make yourself right. Coming here to try and make your conscience feel better. Coming here maybe to please your parents or your relatives. Why are you here? And if it's not here because you love Christ because he first loved you, if you're not here because Christ has died for your sins, then I plead with you now that you think about yourself and wonder how you will be if you don't respond to this good news. Because that very price that Christ paid on the cross for the sins of his people will be the price that you pay for eternity if he hasn't paid the price. And so I just urge you to think, what will it be? How are you going to leave here this morning? Are you going to leave here knowing the love of God in your life through Christ? Or are you going to leave here rejecting it? It's God's love that purchased the church. 
And as a church, as Christians, we should be pursuing love. And this is what the Corinthians were told, to pursue love and pursue love in the building up of the church. And the building up of the church comes in two parts. It comes in more people coming into the family, and it also comes in in the fact of those within the church life, those that are trusting in Jesus, growing and maturing and becoming more Christ-like. In verses 6 to uh, 25 of, of, of this, Paul is developing this, this principle of, of the church being built up. And he does it by comparison tongues and prophecy. And as he compares tongues and prophecy, he develops a clear principle that to pursue love and to build up the church, all communication, all communication in corporate worship must be clear. See, tongues are not clear. Tongues are not understood by all, unless they're interpreted. But more often than not, they weren't then. That's the Corinthians' problem. And Paul was saying to them, you need prophecy, because that's where God speaks clearly to his people. And so all communication in corporate worship must be made clear. And we looked at that last week, and we saw that Paul made his point with that question that he asks. If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless... Uh, I bring you some revelation or some knowledge or some prophecy or some teaching. And he he brings the question, there's there's that or there's this. What's going to be a benefit to you? And he illustrates the point. And we had the, the instruments playing strange sounds. And he then applies the point and then emphasizes the point from his experiences in verses 18 to 19. Corporate worship in the church. That's what we're doing now. We are in an act of worship. This is not just someone preaching. We are worshiping together as a church. We've been worshiping as we've been singing praise. We've been worshiping as we've been reading God's word. This, this act of worship needs to engage mind and spirit. And to, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. As Jesus said to that lady, that Samaritan lady, as she was going through her transformation, as she was coming to see Christ for who he is, Christ said to her in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And spirit is how the Lord works in our lives through the Holy Spirit. But, but truth is what happens in our minds. And we need to engage our minds as we worship. And it's the truth that will set us free. Not emotion, not excitement. It's the truth that will set us free. Again, Jesus speaking in John 8 and verse 31. And Jesus said to the Jews who believed, the Christians, Abide in my word. Abide in my word. Keep in the word and you will be true disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul is telling these Corinthians that they need their minds to be engaged. And just being got up in these extraordinary spiritual gifts isn't going to engage their minds. And they need to be edified, and they need to grow spiritually. And then so truth is verbally communicated. And truth affects the mind. And the effect of the truth on the mind through the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Galatians 5.22 tells us what these fruit are. It's contrasted with the fruits of the world before that. And it moves on. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And how do we benefit from these things? Of course, we need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, but these fruit of the Spirit only come through us walking in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit needs our mind engaged. And so all communication in corporate worship must be clear. And last week, that's why I was saying that we, there are some things that we do here and some things that we don't do here because of this principle. We need all of our corporate worship together to be clear so our minds can engage and the Holy Spirit can use our minds to teach us so that we can grow. So all communication in corporate worship must be clear because the church is to strive, it's to excel in building up the church. And then we come to this Verse 20, and, and I, I had the intention of, of, of cracking on and probably getting down halfway through the next section of orderly worship. And in honesty, when I came to this verse, and as I was preparing, it, I hit a wall. And we're just going to look at verse 20 today. That's quite unusual for us. But Paul tells the Corinthians to grow up. This, this is a big point of where he's coming. And, he, and he, he tells these Corinthians to grow up. I don't know if you've ever been told to grow up. Maybe your mother or your father, in their exasperation to something you've done or not done, wish you would grow up. It's strange, isn't it? Because in your early teens, you possibly were desperate to grow up and become older. And then it seems as we get older, we don't want to grow up. But Paul is telling these Corinthians to grow up, and it's not a good thing. This is not a compliment to these Corinthians. He's not saying, oh, you look so youthful, you should need to look more mature. No, there's there's an issue here. There's a problem here. And it's not a a new problem to them, because in 1 Corinthians, earlier on in this book, in chapter 3, Paul refers to the Corinthians as as spiritual infants. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as of the flesh, as infants in Christ. The, the Corinthians as the church have got form of being infants in Christ. And this was regarding the fact they were arguing over whose spiritual leader was best. And they, were, they, they almost had the, the, the leaders as top trump cards. And this one's better than my one. And my one's better than your one. And Paul, no, this is not what it's... You, 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 I, how can I come to you as spiritual people? You're still of the flesh. You're still infants. So they were arguing. And Paul tells them that they are children in their spiritual thinking. He says that very clearly in this this verse itself. In in 1 Corinthians 14.20, he says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Be naive in evil. Don't get involved in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. Now, their thinking... And their obsession with regard to spiritual gifts was wrong. And and they didn't prioritize love. 
And, and Paul is turning around to them and saying, you are being immature. You're being immature because you are going after the wrong things. And then the, their worship was about themselves. And we don't know whether that they're speaking in tongues and doing all that was to make themselves look better or make themselves feel better, but it wasn't for the edification of the whole church. And this is where they were being childish. This is where they were being infantile. This is where they needed to grow up because they weren't thinking about the whole of the church. They were just thinking like a child. Me, 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 me. The Mimi monster had taken over their lives and it was all about them. And Paul's saying to them, look, grow up. He'd already told them they needed to grow up in regard to their attitude to spiritual gifts. In chapter 13 and 11, as he's talked about the, the, the magnitude and the amazing nature and, and the importance of love, and he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. Inference, you Corinthians, you haven't given up your childish ways. You're hanging on to your childish ways. They, they needed to grow up. They needed to engage their minds. They needed to promote edification and spiritual growth within the church, but they weren't. They were playing around at it. And as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And we live in a day and age and in a society that maturity is expected and sometimes it's even celebrated. And I know that we're in a diversity of cultures and from a diversity of backgrounds. But it seems that what happens in one part of the world quickly spreads to another part of the world. And so if this doesn't really apply particularly to your part of the world yet, you can thank God. But if the world continues the way it does, it probably will continue. And then it seems to be nowadays that in society, this immaturity and, and, and not growing up is kind of expected. You all connect on social media, yes. And, 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 I, and I would imagine that most of you will have seen uh, a meme or a reel or some posting that its source was from the lad's Bible. Yeah. You probably not picked your ears up, to it, but often it's just a, uh, it's just a whole load of nonsense. Yeah, it can be quite funny. I have to admit, there's nothing like a grumpy cat falling out of a window. There's nothing like someone kneeling, getting ran over, and someone falling on a pot of paint, and all those kinds of things that you see. Yes, but in honesty, it's juvenile. And, and, and the reason it's, it's juvenile is because we should grow out of these things. Yes, they might be funny, but that's not what we should be living our lives for. And, and this website, The Lad's Bible, has millions of visitors, and their content is spread out through social media. And the word lad, the word lad is meant to be a boy, someone who's not mature. Someone who's not meant maturity is a lad. And, and, and the biggest age group and population that visit this site are the 18 to 34-year-olds. And these are the very boys that should be men, and, and they're trying to hang on to immaturity, and, and they're laughing at stuff that the children in the children's room probably are laughing at now. And, and they're not growing up. But it, this also can be seen in, in the marriage ages. Data from the UK states that in 
1846, that's a long, 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 long time ago, even before some of our older members, a long time ago, the average age for a woman to marry, is higher than I thought actually, was 24 in 1846, and 25 for men. But in 2019, it is 32 for women and 34 for men. Immaturity. Not willing to commit. Not willing to get stuck in. And this is what society is going. This is the way it is. And this is such a problem in Western society. It's been given a name. It's called the Peter Pan Syndrome. Now, Peter Pan is a fictional boy who never grew up. And, and, and so this Peter Pan syndrome means that around the world, society is recognizing that there are men and women, and they don't want to grow up. And for some, growing up seems near impossible, so much so that their immaturity can ruin relationships, hinder employment, and have a lasting impact on their mental and physical health. My brother runs a business in the UK. He says, one of the hardest things is to find young men that are willing to work. They are amazing on the console. Call of duty, they can, they can master it. They can level out. But tell them to march a day into war and they'll run into their mummy's bedrooms and cry. And that's celebrated in society today. And, and, and if you think, girls, that it's all about the guys, no, you're the same. You played with dollies when you were girls, and you're still pretending to be a dolly now. Potentially, not here, obviously. But this is the immaturity that society celebrates and expects. And, and, and some of the symptoms are like this. It's all about fun, 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 just childishness. I want my chocolate, I want my food, I want this, I want that. And, and, and no job is good enough. And, and they're controlled by peer pressure or, or, or worrying about what other people are thinking about them or worried about what other people are doing without them. Everyone will take care of it. And there's no planning for the future. Now, now just as this, this Peter Pan syndrome is, is a, a blot on society, tragically, there can be a, a spiritual Peter Pan syndrome within the church. We call it spiritual immaturity. And it was a problem to the church in Corinth because here was the Apostle Paul speaking to these people and saying, grow up. Spiritually grow up. Spiritually mature. And just as there was a problem with this in Corinth in the 21st century too, there is a huge problem and it's frightening, and it's devastating to think of how the culture of the day has impacted the church. And I just want to, to flesh out some of the ways that this Peter Pan syndrome, this spiritual Peter Pan syndrome, this spiritual immaturity can manifest itself and impact itself in a church. You see, spiritually immature Christians are marked by seeking constant entertainment. Spiritually immature Christians are marked by seeking constant entertainment. The individuals prioritize their own enjoyment and entertainment over deeper spiritual growth. And so churches are pandering to this. 
And then the whole feel is entertainment and, and multimedia. And, and you don't sit under the sound gospel preaching because, well, that's just too much. We need entertainment. We need little media clips. We need this. We need that. We need the other. And, and, and this can come out like the Corinthians. The Corinthians were, were seeking constant entertainment in the sense that they, everyone was speaking in tongues and jumping around in hysteria. And, and Paul saying, no, this is not what it's about. Spiritual immature Christians are, are, are marred by seeking constant entertainment. When worship becomes a performance rather than a corporate exercise. We're very careful with our wording. Our choir leads us in worship and helps us to worship. And we sing together. And we are a group as a family singing God's praises corporately together. But you can go to an auditorium nowadays where you will have a world-class band and, and vocalists playing for your delight. And then they'll have mastered the art of tuning from the major to the minor and you will be crying your eyes out at a moment and dancing ecstatically the other and you'll leave empty because your minds haven't engaged and you're spiritually immature. And this is happening around the world now. When the service is all about what you can get out of it emotionally, what you can get out of it is a buzz, what you can get out of it is a crack, rather than being edified spiritually. That is constantly seeking entertainment, and that is spiritual immaturity. And, and tragically, like in Corinth, the engaging of one's mind isn't seen as important. And these spiritually immature churches and immature places, the, the experience trumps edification. This is an immaturity that the church has to grow out of. And we need to ask the Lord to protect us from it. And we need to be willing to stand up against the culture of the day when it's out of line or it's not helpful to God's will. And one other thing that I would just say quickly with regard to seeking constant entertainment. This is also seen in the relationship that one has to one's smartphone. A smartphone can be extremely useful, but it can be extremely devastating. And one of the devastating things is we are just full of entertainment and full of distraction. And when we're full of entertainment and full of distraction, we cannot have our minds on Christ. It's the renewing of our mind that will help us, not the scrolling of the social media. And so if you are getting caught up in social media and in your smartphone, you need to ask yourself a question. How are you going to mature? Spiritual immaturities can also be seen in a, in a reluctance to commit. This can be a reluctance to commit to long-term goals or relationships or, or projects. It can manifest itself in, in church life with a hesitancy to, to commit and to volunteer. And I'm so thankful for how many people do volunteer here. I'm so thankful for how many people do get involved in serving. But if it goes a step further, you see, attending the regular services. 
That can be a lack of commitment. This, this is not a new problem. In Hebrews 10, the writer of the Hebrew puts it like this. Not neglect, in 10 verse 25 of Hebrews. Not neglecting to meet together is it the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, 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 the guy, the, the people, the Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews was writing to was saying that some of you are neglecting meeting together. And that's a bad thing. And, and this is going to be heavy. But it has to be said. And it's been said from a, from a pastor who loves you. And it's been said from a church who loves you, yes? But not coming to church. Taking weekends off, not being there week by week is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And I would go as far as to say that not making an effort to be with God's people in the midweek, not making an effort to be at the growth group on Thursday, not making an effort to be with us as we pray together on a Thursday, not making an effort for the other opportunities that are there are potentially a sign of spiritual immaturity. Now I understand that there are good reasons that some of you and maybe right now, are not able to make the meeting. And that's not what I'm speaking into. And there's some of you, for very good reasons, you can't make the midweek programs. You'd love to be there. And that's a good sign. That's a heart attitude. But if you are not there and there is no good reason, if, if the good reason is something else got in the way that didn't need to get in the way, then there's a problem. And I fear for some of you because it's more about attitude than ability. You have the ability to be here, but you don't have the attitude. And that is spiritual immaturity. Not attending regular services is lack of love. It's lack of love to God. How can I say that? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We all say, yes, we love you, God. Are you keeping his commandments? There's a sign. There's a fruit of keeping commandment, of, of love, and that's keeping commandments. And there's a lack of love for the church family. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our love for one another should bring us here. We're to care for each other. We're to look out for each other. That The verse in Hebrews talks about coming together and encouraging one another. You may be tempted to think, I'll just stay at home, it's okay. You are missed. I, I, I won't come in. You are missed. When you are here, you're in encouragement to one another. And, and that's what it should be about. And if you're not wanting to be an encouragement, and if you're not wanting to participate, you're not loving. And Paul was screaming at these Corinthians, as it were, and saying, you've got to pursue love. And this spiritual immaturity is not pursuing love. And we need to pursue love and, and, and see these things as they actually are. And so this reluctance to commit and this not attending regular services is spiritual immaturity. And we see it another way in the West. I don't know if this is true around the world, but this reluctance to commit means that so many churches nowadays have so many more people on staff. Half a century ago, the only real people that were on staff within a church in the UK was the pastor and possibly a cleaner or a caretaker. 
And, and now you go into a church foyer and there's this whole list of a mass of people that are on staff. And in one place you think, praise God, they're all on staff. But then you think, well, why? And it's because so many people within the church can't commit to it to get there. And the church in the UK is struggling to do what it used to do because less and less people are willing to get involved and they're reluctant to commit. And a reluctancy to commit is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity can lead to avoidance of leadership roles. So some individuals within a church may resist taking on responsibilities. They, they prefer just to stay there and just sort of flow through church life and it, it's all all right and they just be passive or sort of a bit supportive and bless spiritual maturity. When, when there's a need, when, when there's an opportunity, a mature person will take it. An immature won't. But the alternative is the opposite can be a problem. Uh, spiritually, immaturity can lead uh, to demanding leadership roles when people are not qualified. And, and so you can see that in the church. The very people that should be stepping up the plate and leading are sat there passively doing nothing. And, and the people that are inexperienced and their egos are bigger than their abilities are coming forward and saying, me, 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 me. And, and the church has been led by juveniles. And the seniors are sat there going, Oh, it's not like it was in the old days. And it's because there's spiritual maturity throughout. There's a reluctance to commit. There's an avoidance of leadership. Or there's a demanding of leadership when they're not qualified. And it's in a sense of entitlement and a sense of their own assessment, of their own abilities and their own importance. And it's spiritual immaturity. And, and Paul's seen all of this in 1 Corinthians. We could go through the book and we could pull these things out from examples from there. The church is the very place where, where the hurt and the genuine need you can get help. And we praise God for that. And that's what a church should be. It should be a triage center for the spiritually hurt. The, the, those who have got difficulties, they, they should be able to come to a church. And this could be a, should be a place where they are supported, where they are helped, where they are loved, and where they are uplifted. But tragically... Spiritual immaturity can demonstrate it in this way. There is an unrighteous dependence on others. Now, now what do I mean by that? I'm, I'm underlining unrighteous. That there is a good dependence on each other. There is a good need for encouraging one another. There is a right time when those that are low and need lifting up should be encouraged and lifted up. There are times when the, the, the widow and the poor and, and those should be helped. But, but so often they can be uh, are relying heavily on other supports when if there was some spiritual maturity, that person would rely on God rather than on other people. And it can be easier to rely on other people because God's unseen and God takes faith. But that person, yes. So, so, so I've kind of like put it like this. The, the, the default can be this. When the problem rises, we phone a friend rather than call out to God. 
Spiritual maturity calls out to God. Spiritual maturity drives us to unease. Immaturity drives us back to people to see if people can help. But it's unrighteous, relying too heavily on other supports when some spiritual maturity and relying on God would, would help. You see, it comes at a great cost. An individual's faith grows when it's tested. James 1. Verse 3 says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. And tragically, around the world and in churches today, people are not growing because their faith isn't being tested, because as soon as a difficulty comes, they run back and and, and they have this unrighteous dependency on each other, and, and they're not taking it to the Lord, and they're not growing in their faith, and they're not being perfected, and they're not completing, and they're not lacking anything, and they're just like children in the kindergarten. And when things go wrong, they squawk, and a helper comes and helps them, and pats them on the back, and wipes their bottom, and they get on. And they never grow up to be able to wipe their own bottoms. And they never grow up to be able to stand up to their own problems. And it's a mess. And that can happen in the church. We need to be sensible to this. You see, in a farming sense, the younger lambs in the flock are harder to shepherd than the mature sheep. And what I mean by this is the, the young lambs are the ones that are always running away. And they need bringing back. And it's difficult for a church to get this. If a church is not growing up, then it's harder for the leaders to lead. Because if there are no mature sheep within the flock, if everyone's little and running around and causing problems, then the leaders are going to have a really, really difficult job. And they'll spend more time getting immature sheep out of ditches rather than helping the hurt and the broken and the spiritually young. Now, friends, there's nothing wrong in being spiritually young. We start as spiritual babies. That's where we start. There's nothing wrong with that. But immaturity and not growing up or not being bothered to work at growing up, that is the problem. And that is the challenge. And that is spiritual immaturity, a reluctance to commit, uh, avoidance of leadership, demanding leadership to not qualified, an unrighteous dependence uh, upon others. But also it can be seen itself as a resistance to change. Change within the church. The, 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 the spiritually immature may prefer to maintain the status quo, the conditions, the comfort they have, even if it hinders their own growth or that of the church. Now there's times when change shouldn't happen. Because the spiritually immature can demand change for change's sake. These are both ends of the spectrum, and they both can be from spiritual immaturity. Just because people are doing stuff that makes it easier doesn't mean that we should do it. The church down the road is having masses of people coming in. Why are they, why are they having lots of people coming in? Well, they've got a night of tongues and fire. And we must have a night of tongues and fire and prayer and fasting. And it must be like this. And it must be just all emotion. And, and that will bring the people in. And because they're doing it, we should do it. And so the church and the immature demand change. The sermons are too long. Let's cut them down and make them shorter. We need more time to have coffee and fellowship. Let's push out. And demanding change and being resistant to change. Both ends of the spectrum. 
But they both can be evidence of spiritual immaturity. The Corinthians were told in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, to be earnestly desiring the higher gifts. And if you remember, we thought of the higher gifts as those that edify and build up. And similarly, in, in this chapter 14, it starts with uh, to pursue love and prophecy. And that prophecy is, is those higher gifts, the gifts that edify, the gifts that, that, that build up and change that reduces the ability for the church to edify is not good change. And we shouldn't be pursuing that. And to resist change that could help us be built up is not good. And so there's times when we need to change because that's going to build us. And there's times we have to resist change because what's being promoted to us isn't going to build us up. Spiritual maturity is seeing the difference and realizing this is a time not to change and this is a time to change. And spiritual maturity doesn't see that. It just goes with its own flow. And ultimately, spiritual immaturity is seen by people wanting their own way. I'm sure you've been in Dimmer or Moto, Malto, or whichever shop it is, and there's that embarrassing moment. The four or five-year-old who's taking on the mother or father the child wants its own way. And its mother or father doesn't want to buy it those sweeties or buy it that toy. And they uttered the words, no. And we know what happens next, don't we? This defiant little monster, well, this angelic little child for a moment, turns into a defiant little monster that sort of, and it explodes. And friends, that happens in the church. It happens in the church when people don't get their own way. And it's a problem. And it's seriously showing spiritual immaturity, having a stop because they're not getting their own way. God's word is the final authority. Not what you feel, not what you like, not even what you think. God's word is the final authority. And spiritual immaturity shows itself so often in people wanting their own way and imposing their own way over God's way, over God's word. And Paul tells the Corinthians to grow up. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Yes, be infants and in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. And so the frightening question I want to ask is, is Paul telling the church at LPC to grow up? Is the Holy Spirit, through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, telling us at LPC to grow up? Is the Holy Spirit through this letter to the Corinthians telling you right now that there's areas in your spiritual life that you need to grow up? Yes, the Corinthians were told to be innocent and childlike to evil, and that's a good place to be. We should be innocent and we shouldn't be going down that way and we should just not... 
in some ways, it could happen all around us in the world. We don't know about it. And that, that's, that's a blessed place to be. But we are to not, we're not to be mature in sin. But they were called to be mature in their thinking. They're told very, very clearly, aren't they? The wording is, 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 is very, very clear there. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. Don't go down the evil route. But in your thinking, be mature. And we, we have to regard this in, in the context of where they were at. They were told to be mature in their thinking. And then it's exactly the same for us now. Paul in, the Romans, in Romans 12, 2 puts it like this. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our mind is, yes, part spiritual of the Holy Spirit working, but it is also a part of our intellect and our, our mind engaging with this. And, and, and he doesn't say here, be transformed in the renewal of your experience or in the delight of your worship or in the depth of your spiritual gifts. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is why Paul is so critical on this point. Within church life, within our corporate worship, it's our minds that need to be engaged. The renewing of the mind would not come to the Corinthians by the use of tongues. That's why he's contrasting it. Yes, there may be a time and place for tongues, and there was then, and we can see the examples of it on the day of Pentecost and in when the first church was formed and then in the privacy and the comfort of your own home, but when it was, or through translation, interpretation, but if it was just being babbled outside of that, it was not helping with the renewing of the mind. It wasn't helping with engaging the intellect. It was being childish. And Paul's saying, grow up. You need to grow up. The renewing of your mind won't come that way. The renewing of our minds isn't going to come through an emotional experience or a spiritual high meted out by flashing lights and smoke machines and, 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 and a sanctified saxophonist who's amazing. That's not going to renew your mind. The renewing of your mind is when God's Word through the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word engages with it. God's word in the renewing of the mind happens when you are singing that hymn and the words of that hymn and what you're saying together corporately grab you like they've never grabbed you before. Amazing grace. You start thinking about amazing grace and what that is. And yes, you may shed tears and there may be an emotion there, but it's not the emotion that makes it happen. It's the amazing grace and the truth of it that makes it happen. The reading of God's word is when we engage with it. Not the dancing around an altar and dropping an offering. There's time for offerings, absolutely. Please do give to the Lord's work as the Lord puts on your heart. But it's not for you. It's not for your entertainment. It's, that's not the renewing of the mind. And this is what Paul was saying to these people. He's saying, grow up. And maybe we need to hear that same message. LPC, grow up. Frankly, they had to grow up. And if we want to grow up spiritually, we have to have the right attitude to spiritual gifts and worship. 
And that's why he starts that whole passage, doesn't he? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be spiritually mature. He wants us to become more Christ-like. And so we need to have the right attitude to spiritual gifts and worship. And we have three chapters of God's Word devoted to it. And so, frankly, the Corinthians were told by Paul they had to grow up. And frankly, I need to ask you this morning, what are you going to do about this truth? You see, you're no longer uninformed. You know. There's a difference between being uninformed and being ignorant. Being uninformed means you don't know, you haven't learned, you have learned now. Ignorant is what you do or don't do. If you choose to ignore this, if you choose to go your own way with this, you are being ignorant to God's word. So friends, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And what I'd urge you to do about it is to pursue love and to grow and to build up the church. Amen. Well, Lord God, we probably come with a sense of needing to confess. Needing to confess that we haven't grown as we should have done. Or we've been holding on to things that are not of first importance. Oh, Lord God, we pray, as we prayed earlier, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit. Oh, Lord God, may we be a church May we be individuals that are serious about growing. May we be those that are serious about pursuing love first. We thank you for your love that has pursued us. We thank you that your love underwrites everything. And so as we come seeking forgiveness, we also come seeking your guidance and your enabling. And may we go forward as individuals and a church that is growing and becoming more Christ-like and bringing glory and honor to your great and holy name. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.